All right, welcome Huda Thunkers. This is your host Zeb, as always, of the Huda Thunker podcast. This is season two, episode sixteen, and this episode is dedicated to my sister Cass, even though she'll never hear it because she doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> this is episode's recommendation segment is loosely connected to the main topic. I strongly recommend you check out music from the notorious B.I.G., also known as Biggie Smalls. Warning: His music is seldom okay for kids to listen to, and I like to keep this podcast. As clean as possible. You have been warned. Biggie's art is quite explicit. But I'm a huge Biggie Smalls fan, and I have been—I have been ever since my little chubby legs were dangling from my car seat back in the, my family's big green van. My mom would put on Biggie's music when my sister and I were toddlers. My favorite album is Ready to Die. I listened to that album on repeat during two-day practices um, for football in high school. So, awesome, awesome artist. Hope you check it out. Major side note. <laughs> I was going to do this recommendation segment and write it how um, I only have three tattoos on my body right now, and one of them is a Biggie Smalls quote. It is the tattoo I got uh, with my sister. We have the same tattoo we got at the same time. It's on both of our left biceps. I was going to write about how proud I was of the tattoo to show how big of a Biggie fan I am that I got his words tattooed on my body. But when I went to look up which song the quote was from, I found it was from... I'm with whatever. That's the title of the song. And the lyric I got as a tattoo is from a verse sung by a different artist. Let that sink in. That lyric that I have tattooed on my body with the initials B-I-G next to it was actually rapped by Lil Wayne. (laughs) I'm not joking. Lil Wayne was just a feature on the song, whereas Biggie got the main artist credit. So when Cass and I saw all these quotes online saying Biggie was the one quoted saying, if you don't love yourself, I'll make you see your own heart, those people were actually mistaken. If you listen to the song, Lil Wayne is the one who actually said it. (laughs) And I'm not a Lil Wayne fan, not really. So I have a quote that says, if you don't love yourself, I'll make you see your own heart, with the initials B-I-G, tattooed on my left bicep, And that quote is actually from Lil Wayne, not Biggie. I don't like Lil Wayne. (laughs) That's all true. But say la vie. Uh, I think it's actually kind of, it's still a cool quote. I think it's kind of funny. And it's a hilarious representation of my sister and I's sibling relationship. So anyway, something I wanted to share with you guys while researching for this podcast. Now for our main topic and main story, Captain Robert Smalls. This is another historical episode, so I hope you enjoy. Now this is the birth of a legend. Robert Smalls was born in slavery into slavery in 1839 in Buford, South Carolina. His mother, Lydia Polite, was a house servant on the plantation um, she was enslaved to. She gave birth to Robert in the cabin behind their slave owner's house, just in a cabin, which, mind-blowing, but back then I guess was normal. As Robert grew, he became a favorite amongst the slave owners due to his intellect and charm. Being sold off and separated from her family at the age of seven, Robert's mom was no stranger to horrors of slavery. Lydia saw that her son was being treated more kindly than most other slaves in their plantation, fearing he would grow up naive of his owner's cruelty. Lydia requested her son work out in the field so he could witness the brutal whippings of his people. Lydia's intended message was received. Robert led the rest of his life fully aware of the darkness of the society he lived in. By the age of 12, Robert began to act out. He was arrested for the heinous crime of being in public past 7 p.m. with his friends. Yeah. 
Lydia, a, a law that didn't apply to his white friends. Lydia decided it was best to lease her son out to the dockyards in Charleston so she convinced their slave owner to allow that to happen. Saying all, saying all these things like his owners and leased out her son feels wrong. Um, I like, I, like everyone in American public schools was educated on American slavery so it shouldn't be a shock to me but it is it feels wrong saying that people could be owned but it's the reality of what was happening back then and that's how I'm going to say it because it's what happened to sort of use different words to change the reality back then would be wrong anyway Smalls did hard labor for years rigging ships and receiving a pitiful fraction of the pay of his white co-workers. The bulk of Robert's pay went to his new master. Robert received only $1 a week. That comes out to about $35 a week in today's economy. Something that not I nor anyone listening to this podcast could probably live off at all. While working on the docks, Robert found he had a love for the sea. He worked as a longshoreman, a rigger, a sailmaker, and eventually worked his way up to the uh, title of wheelman. Uh, more or less, he was the helmsman, basically the boat pilot, uh, but slaves were not allowed to have that title. Through his hard work, Robert Smalls was able to become quite familiar with the Charleston Harbor, knowing it like the back of his hand. When he was 17, he married an enslaved hotel maid named Hannah Jones. They settled down, had two kids, and went on with their lives until war broke out. When the Civil War broke out in 1861 with the Battle of Fort Sumter, it was so close to home with Small, for Smalls that he could probably hear the cannon fire from his apartment. His skill as a seaman didn't go unnoticed. He was immediately pressed into service about the CSS Planter. It was like a steamboat um, and a converted cotton steamer that was now working as a supply ship ferrying food, ammo, and other supplies from Charlestown docks to the various forts that defended the harbor. Now, Smalls was fighting in the American Civil War. He was forced to do so. But Charleston, South Carolina, wasn't part of the Union North that was looking to free the slaves. When he was forced to work as the wheelman of the CSS planter, it was for the Confederacy, the side that, if they were victorious, would continue to keep Smalls and his family enslaved. And remember, Robert Smalls wasn't dumb. He was smart as a tack, charming, and the images of his fellow slaves being whipped in the fields was forever burned into his mind. So he understood his situation and how messed up it was being forced to fight in a war that for a side that was basically against you and, and degraded you and your people for nine months smalls piloted the css planter around charleston harbor <clears throat> he made mental notes about troop placements currents tides and most importantly signals and codes sent between ship and the forts that dotted the harbor he also noticed his enslaver captain and crew were sloppy and underestimated him Every time he left shore, he told his wife Hannah to have a go-bag ready, just in case they needed to flee the area. On May 16, 1862, after a long day's work ferrying supplies all over the harbor, the white captain and crew of the CSS planter stopped the boat near a small island and after midnight told his men to camp out to catch some sleep. Small stayed on the boat with the seven other slaves, and as soon as their slavers were asleep on the island, Smalls, like a total boss, just stole the boat. He was like, yeah. <laughs> the white captain was like, hey, you slaves, stay on the boat just in case we need to get out of here. And Small was like, yeah, no problem. And as soon as they went to sleep, he's like, all right, let's get out of here. <laughs> he just left them there. Keep in mind, steamboats are loud. Their charcoal boilers make quite a ruckus, but somehow Smalls got away. He and the seven other slaves hightailed it back to Charlestown, 
where they scooped their families. The now 17 escaped slaves loaded six cannons onto the CSS planter on Smalls' orders. Uh, he planned to sneak or charm his way past the numerous Confederate checkpoints and forts, but if it came to it, Smalls wanted to be prepared to fight to the death rather than fall victim to slavery. Smalls stationed a man in the boiler of the ship and ordered him to blow the ship to Kingdom Come if it looked like they were going to be captured. It seemed all those aboard the CSS planner agreed they were either going to make it to freedom or die free that very night. One could imagine the Confederates weren't too forgiving to mutineer slaves if they were caught, so it makes sense why they were pretty much going to say, if we get caught, we're going to blow it up. Smalls remembered the signals necessary to seem an ally to each Confederate sentry, you know, like blow this many whistles and wave this many times. He knew the secret code. He donned the captain's uniform using the large hat to hide his face. Thankfully, most sentries didn't think twice when Robert spoke with them as they had seen him pilot the boat through the harbor many times before. So a lot of things seemed to be lining up to let them out of here. When it came to the final checkpoint, Fort Sumter, Smalls knew the largest checkpoint would be the most trouble. His crewmates like pleaded to him like, hey, dude, please go around this fort. Just sort of go really far away so they don't see us. But Smalls knew that was a mistake, and he knew that it would seem suspicious. He chose to bravely steer the ship in a direct line straight to the Union blockade to get out of there, and luckily it worked. Robert Smalls captained an enemy ship past five Confederate checkpoints with 17 slaves on board. He steered to freedom using nothing but his intelligence and bold-faced confidence. When the Confederate troops finally realized what was going on, it was too late. Alarms were sounded and ships were set in pursuit but it was all in vain. Smalls' crew made it to the Union-held territory. And when they got there, the Union forces almost open-fired on the CSS planter. But thankfully, Smalls' wife, and really smart, she packed the bags, right? So she packed a white bed sheet. Quickly thinking on Smalls', on Smalls part led to the sheet being hoisted and signals surrendered to the Northern forces so they didn't open fire. Making national news in the North, Smalls was an instant hero for freeing 17 slaves and bringing a six-cannon warship over to the North. He went on to speak with Lincoln and convinced him to allow African-Americans to fight for the Union. He briefly went on a tour of the North, uh, the North recruiting African-American men to fight, and he was credited for recruiting about like 5,000 men. But Robert Smalls wasn't a man to just to sit back while a war was being fought. A year after he commanded, commandeered this CSS planter away from the Confederates, he joined the Union Army and eventually took over as captain of his own ship, the USS Planter, not the CSS Planter, the USS Planter. Commissioned as an officer in the United States military, Robert Smalls participated in 17 naval actions in and around Charleston, Charleston Harbor between 1863 and 1865. He piloted a U.S. Navy ironclad, the USS Keokuk, and during the attack on Fort Sumter in April 1863 and earned a commendation for bravery at the Battle of Folly Creek in June while piloting the planter. The ship's captain got a little shell-shocked from the heavy fire that the ship was taking and ran to hide in the boiler room, so Smalls took over active command and helped his crew fight off the enemy attack. He was promoted to captain, earned a salary of 150 bucks a month, making him like the highest-paid black guy soldier in the U Civil War, and watched proudly from the deck of the planter when Charleston surrendered to the Union in 1865. This living legend showed up to battles in the official as the official captain of the ship he stole from his enemies. That is a jaw-dropping historical fact there. I am in awe of this man's story. <laughs> 
After the war, Robert Smalls was appointed Brigadier General of the South Carolina Militia, and he took his wife and his kids back home to Buford, where he bought the house he was born in, and he's, he allowed his former owners to stay in the land, live amongst his family, which is a level of benevolence and kindness that kind of escapes me. He was elected first to the South Carolina State Senate and then was elected to the United States House of Representatives in 1874 after winning 80% of the vote from his district, which is a landslide. In 1877, the former representative that Smalls beat for his seat in the House planned to scandalize General Smalls out of office. The claims were that Smalls was taking bribes as an elected official. He was sent to court in Charleston, given a joke trial, convicted, and sentenced to three years in jail, but only ended up serving about two days before the governor of South Carolina pardoned him. The governor knew that the charges brought against Smalls were bogus. Apparently, Congress agreed with the governor because Smalls didn't even lose his seat in the House over it. He just walked out of jail and went right back to the House of Representatives. <laughs> he went on to serve three more years in Congress, where he worked to desegregate the military, restaurants, and railroads, fought for debt relief for Southern families who had lost their homes and property during the war, battled for voting rights for black people, and fought against the KKK whenever he got the chance. And in 1912, at the age of 73, General Robert Smalls, an old man now, stopped a lynch mob from hanging an African-American boy in the street near his house. He walked right up to the mob, addressed the leader, and threatened to rally every black person in Charleston to burn the entire city to the ground if they didn't let this boy go free and save his life. That is power being used for good, folks. And it is brutal, it was aggressive, but it was necessary in that time. That's what I, That's how I understand that. Smalls ended up serving five terms in Congress. He died at his home in 1915 at the age of 75. His home is now a national landmark. Numerous schools in South Carolina bear his name. And in 2004, he became the first African-American to have the U.S. warship named after him, the support ship USAV Major General Robert Smalls. The story of Robert Smalls blew me away when I first read it. But after reading his story again for this episode, I can't help but notice it all seemed to have started with his mom, uh, Lydia Polite. She recognized his potential and steered him to where he could have a chance, steered him to where his life would best be. If it weren't for his mom, who knows? Maybe Robert Smalls would just have lived out his days in the plantation. Anyway... Thanks for listening, Huda Thunkers. I hope you enjoyed. Major shout out to one of my favorite history blogs. It's titled Badass of the Week. I try not to curse, but that's the name of it. I can't get around that. Badass of the Week. I discovered Robert Smalls' story on this blog, and I borrowed a lot of material from their post about Smalls for this episode. So check them out. It's, it's a great um, Ben Thompson, I believe is the author's name. He has a couple published books. Really cool blog. Uh, but also check out my blog. This accompanying blog post has lots of pictures and all my uh, credits and uh, sources for it. So uh, check that out as well. Thanks for listening and talk to you next week. Who to thunkers? <laughs>